Summer Krinsky. Yeah, we need to we need to blast through these. Okay. Uh I yeah, I was listening. I was listening very carefully and I was also scrolling and I was watching a dog get on a chairlift to go up and then um rescue someone. Rescue I think it was a rescue dog. Rescue dog. Or it was just riding, but it had a little vest. Oh, well, the vest, that means he has a job. Yeah, it looked like it. He looked like he had a job. I mean, I like to give my dogs jobs. Of course. Sometimes they're just they're, they being like cute. Them. Yeah, well. Yeah. Always on time for being cute. Um, Yeah, no, but, uh, I'm, you know, uh, while scrolling, I was carefully listening. Carefully, doing that close listening. I really was. I was yeah. just also witnessing. The, <laughs> the dog. The dog. Uh, well, it is April 13th. In the time that we are not in right now. Yes. Currently. Broadcasting in the future from the past. Right. Right now. Uh-huh. Twisty uh, turning you time. You are listening to the I Don't Heart Radio podcast. You've probably just seen us at a show. Hopefully. Uh, we have shows coming up as well. Yeah, so if it's uh, the 13th of April, that means that we are going to be in... Um, I'm pulling up the schedule. I'm I'm driving the van. <laughs> I'm you know I'm active. We're touring. Uh, it's the 13th, so that means that we're in Lafayette, Indiana tonight. At oh the wow, spot. we're back in the Midwest, you guys. And on the 14th, which is tomorrow, yes, uh, Indianapolis at Healer. We love Indy. Th- I spelled it wrong on the poster. I'm so sorry. I Indianapolis, love Indianapolis, and I still. Just constantly can't spell it. You have so many letters. It's a There's lot so of letters. letters. <laughs> right? Uh, it's just Indianapolis. And yet it feels like it's, it's different. Because it, it's Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Why not just call it Indianapolis? Why not, guys? Right in. Come on. Okay. Uh, the 15th, uh, we're doing St. Louis at Heavy Anchor. The 16th, we're in Louisville at Magbar. The 17th, in Knoxville at Lowercase Books. The 18th in Cincinnati at the Comet, the 19th in Columbus at Space Bar, the 20th in Pittsburgh at Collision, the 21st in Akron at the Cave, and the 22nd in Toledo at Ottawa Tavern. Hell yeah. Um, and then uh, I, I'm hoping that we'll add some uh, Detroit days. We just, we just, you know, did one before leaving on this tour, but I know right now we're definitely going to be playing. Um, in early July at the Loving Touch with the Doozers and Ali Evenson. So make sure you, I think you can already get tickets for that. So if you're in Detroit, that show is coming up. It's a few months away, but it's going to be really fun. It's part of a whole festival. So um, come check it out. And I'm Summer Krinsky. I'm Scott Murphy. This is I Don't Heart Radio. And this could be your next favorite band. All right. Um, This one's cool. It's electronic. It's got like, uh, it's you know, I it. I think exemplifies the genre hopping around that this show does. Yeah. The the um the beat actually kind of reminds me of some like Kanye West sampling style yeah. stuff, you yep. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um so this was uh we were listening to Salvaje Salvaje Soler. Okay. Uh and the song was Casi Felez. And uh, this is so- like this is some rap yeah i've always so first off i have like one of my weirdest things that i love is spanish rap uh-huh it just the language lends itself really well uh it, it just it has a i don't know it kind of breaks some like traditional ways of like uh like putting together a bar in a very pleasant way uh-huh you what, know so in what like what how well, so i mean it's like the way that the syllables break across a measure, it's it, it just feels like it's in a different place. Mm-hmm. Um, the like the way that like most like longer words are constructed, it, it's kind of like emphasis is put on like the back end of uh, of a phrase, mm-hmm. and like English is a little more like front ended. Okay, so the way that the beat feels is different. Yeah, which is uh, I, I mean, it also goes into like. 
like when you're feeling Latin jazz, you feel like strong beat versus weak beat. Uh-huh. Uh, and that, I don't know, it just kind of like keeps translating in different ways and it makes my brain think in different in like different avenues. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like it has a, like a hypnotic flow to it. <laughs> maybe maybe also partially because I'm not thinking because I don't know what it means. Don't so know. Yeah, yeah. That does. A little I, I more love like, that. I, I mean, I've always loved like foreign language music. And I think that we've featured like quite a bit of it on the podcast because it just it takes me away from thinking about something in the way that I normally think about something. Yeah, I mean, I love a good lyric, too, that I, I mean, a good lyric that I understand, and I'm like, oh, this, you know, is poetic to me. But yeah. there's also something um, totally removing that aspect of it, understanding. It, like, hacks into your brain. Uh-huh. You know, you know, there's a human voice, you know, there's so, there's something there, and it's being, you know, expressed emotively. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm feeling something more... Um, like viscerally. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, uh-huh. just like, hell yeah, dude. Um, this beat's cool. Like I said, yeah, it's like a little more like, it's, it's like got a lot of sampley electronica stuff to the beat. Yeah, um, well, there's a lot of, I, I guess it's just that there's a lot of things that feel outside, uh, like very left of center in constructing a hip hop beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does. It does not sound like anything. I mean, you know, we can go like, oh, it's like a little bit like Kanye West esque in like the drum chops and, like a and the vocal, bit, like Passion Pit. Yeah, um, like a little bit. Well, because there's like some like very um, you know squonky synthesizers and the and vocal. The, though the, I think the vocal chops. Okay, yeah, are that. Um, a little bit like Kanye West meets Passion Pit. I don't know. That's a weird comparison. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> cool meeting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So there's 15 tracks on this release, and they're all they're they're all over the place in like the best way. Like mm-hmm. there's constant there's constant movement. There's constant like odd sample flips. That when I listened through it, I was just. I was very excited by it because uh, so like um, with the Twitch stream, I'm very inundated with people doing like SoundCloud rap. Yeah. Like I hear a lot of SoundCloud rap. Yes. You've become a connoisseur. I've become a connoisseur. And the thing is, is that it's very rare that I hear one of those songs and am like satisfied in any way by it. And the That's thi- a nice way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing that I find profoundly disappointing about because this isn't just like, it's not just like, you know, people on Twitch, but it is like kind of hip hop in general, is it's, I don't think it's ever been so consolidated in just trying to sound like someone else. Yeah. Like, because I think that hip hop as an expression is about finding individuality and being able to express yourself within like a rigid societal structure. Like that is the the history of hip hop. Yeah. And it just over the last few years, it's turned into a big game of like, well, it's this beat with this kind of sample, with this vocal flow, with these effects. And it's so like paint by numbers Mm -hmm. and then when you confront someone on like well this is like this is just a carbon copy of this or that they'll just say like well that's the genre Uh, this is this is trap dark wave like thing and that's that that's the trap dark wave template and it's like, it's like, well, then why are you doing the this? This is like, I mean, that's why I think there is something fascinating to me, that, like the, of the bringing AI into the world. It's like, there's so many negatives. It's going to take people's, you know, right. jobs, whatever. But I do feel like there might be more of an encouraging of creating unique sounding Uni- right. music because. Right. If it's paint by numbers template, you know who's gonna do that way better than you? A robot. Yeah. A robot's gonna do that so much better, more more efficient. It can it can it can crank out albums daily, such yeah. as Godbox. <laughs> if you right. listen back to the episode, classic uh, episode, uh, the Godbox episode, a, a robot is going to be able to make templated music, you know, better than a human. Right. That is 
it's like how a robot can easily, you know, it's why a calculator can do, it's the same concept if it's a, um, and, and maybe one day creativity will also come more naturally, but I think that that is going to be a further out day. Right. Well, I, and but also, I mean, I do like go back to, I think that that is something that we like a robot can take a rapper's job because rappers made it a job that's takeable. Yeah, but if you're a rapper with a distinct right um sound so but so there's... so someone can then take your distinct sound and feed it and create things that are derivative of right. it. But I think creating a distinct sound, right. a style. Well, I mean, I you was know thinking, what I mean? I mean, I've been thinking about the AI thing for the yeah. last few days and it's like uh, what I distilled it down into is that like an AI could write like Kurt Vonnegut, but an AI Can't couldn't become, become Kurt exactly, Vonnegut. exactly. And that's the thing that I find really exciting about it. It's like they they're getting the Chat GPT to like uh, write a joke in the style of Mitch Hedberg kind of thing, and it like can, right? It totally right, right. can. But can it create become a a different like a human that is that has a personality that's as great and like uh, just you know, fully rounded that is a person that is not not is Mitch Hedberg, but is their, you know own the, person. That's when that's when we're a style in style like, maker. You know, yeah. Then we've created sentience. And I do think that that's like possible and on the horizon. But then also I think that at that point it's we've adopted like a very I think society has a uh us versus them mentality. And it's like, well, we'll create this new species and then it will kill us is the only <laughs> sensical thing for it to do. Right. You know, like that's yeah, it's like our, that's what I would guilt. do. That's I know it our, is it's funny. The Neanderthal it's like, guilt. <laughs> it really you is. You know, like, OK, I well, I was thinking that, too. Yeah, it's it is the Neanderthal kill. It's like what we did. So we're like, it will it, do that's it. That's what it's going to do. It's going to like, uh, I mean, like we're going to fuck and then it's going to kill us. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that's. uh that's the plan and and that just seems so like silly <laughs> like when when you think about it it's the well it comes down to like philip k dick believed that like body snatchers from outer space was just fascist propaganda to to make us prepared to go to like why is it that our instant thing is that aliens come and we go to war with them like that's a training mechanism to make us just want to fight the aliens. Uh-huh. Where there's we're we're just preloading that with a lot of assumptions. Right. That is like our our huge problem. Mm-hmm. So I think that there are like some we're making a lot of uh pre-assumptions about our relationship with what could just be a nice robot friend. Well, but I think that the problem with that is that we're making it in the image of ourself and then those well, assumptions. I, well, I have lots of friends. Themselves. That's true. I do have lots of friends. You have lots of friends. I have lots I've of friends. I've never done war. You've so never far. done war. So I guess that that's the thing. It's <laughs> like the, the view of humanity as like, uh, you know, we are a warring species that constantly, but it just seems like there's actually only a few humans at any time that like, would like all of humans to kill all humans and they're just very effective at persuading them to do so right against their will mm-hmm. you know maybe yeah i, I would are i mean you think so i think so i don't know about it's against their will but i, I think, think you that it's bring appealing that to a part yeah. of someone's will and that right. you are then a, you know you're appealing to like certain parts of them but i think that like generally speaking large groups of people would rather not mm-hmm. just murder each other yeah because it's a drag it's not fun it's not fun the people who are having fun are generally not doing the fighting they're watching it and yeah then, you know making decisions making decisions and then making money and mm-hmm. all of that and you know if uh if an aggregate ai personality is to come from all of humanity uh then maybe it won't be a Dick Cheney robot. Maybe <laughs> it's just, you know, us. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice to think that if we were to weight the percentage and and it was an equally weighted, if it was a, right. a populist robot. Populist robot. Yeah, that's I, a good band name. Someone I, take that. Please do. Populist robot. Take populist robot. 
the yeah, I mean, we're we're right now we're doing uh, it's lost again, summer because you're oh, man. it's Jacob and the Smoke Monster. We're making a wager about the the nature oh. of humanity. Why? What is going on? <laughs> I'm wearing white. You're wearing black. We're just <laughs> we're just literally doing that. Oh, Everything man. is archetypal. It goes all you know. We've got a we've got a whole backlog of just cultural memory that just like flowing out through the podcast. We've never had an original thought in our lives. Everything goes back to Lost, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this band, this rap group, this who is it? Is so individual. There is no way for me to know. Oh, unknowable. <laughs> this is unknowable stuff. Uh, I think that it's absolutely awesome and you should all listen to it because it does like that's the thing like we could wrap this all around it doesn't just fall into someone like literally copy pasting and then going like it's the genre and then pushing it out there these are um some of these tracks are arguably unlistenable like a few of them, uh-huh. they're just like so out. Yeah, but oh, I yeah. love that. Uh-huh. Like I, I think that the history of hip hop is filled with tracks like that. Like most of the best hip hop albums that I have, I don't want to listen to like twenty five percent of the tracks because mm-hmm. it's just someone. It it was a genre that encouraged fierce experimentation. Remember all the skits they used to do? Skits. I, I don't know. Do they still do skits on... I, no! Because that has to do with doing a record and like now that it's all singles. Singles. And, yeah. and the record and then they were also like lame and hokey. Most of the time they were not good. Yeah. But it was just like people having fun in the studio. Totally. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And like that's super important. Like that's part of the whole experience. And and then it like even outside of the skits there would just be like tracks that you, you're like what are you doing yeah you know but but there it, there was a constant willingness to try something new and also publish it which sometimes those like rough cuts would get like it goes into the lexicon and then someone figures out how to make it work later and that's mm, what the do way you mean uh i think that there are tracks in like Paul's boutique that don't make sense until like six years later. You mean like it makes sense where it, when it gets recontextualized? Yeah, it gets like it's almost like a, it's like a little bit ahead of its time, visionary, and it doesn't quite have its finger on what. The, yeah, the, well, it, I mean, there's because it's a uh, you know everything is sampling and everything uh-huh. is remixing, and yeah. then like one of those tracks that's like wonky on the record gets reworked by someone else. And ch- you know they find what makes it work. They find the yeah. They find like what the and and it's supposed edges. to be like it's a it's a cultural language that goes like from record to record to record, and mm-hmm. you're like sharing you like you're sharing those samples and those sounds and those ideas, not with the like you're you're establishing your own personality and yeah. your own like media empire, but you're also like sharing with the culture like things that might be able to be reworked into something else later. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of the part of the thing. This feels like that. Yeah, this, I mean this song has like definitely just it's own, it's got a style and it's got a flow and there's something that feels like what, this is a recent release. Oh yeah. Cuz it, it just does came out. feel like it references some of the electric electronic sounds I was hearing like 10 years ago. Yes. Like not that it doesn't have its own because it totally right. well, does. Well, I mean a... like uh late 80s hip hop references disco. Uh-huh. You know, it's it recontextualizes something from 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um do you know do, so is there like do they make the beats? Yes. Okay, cool. It's all it's all Yeah, 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 this, yeah. One person or, or collective people. yeah or group. okay yeah great <laughs> but they're doing everything hell yeah wait what's the, what's the name again say it again for me <clears throat> uh salvaje solaire all right awesome um yeah i so this is this part of like what's the 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 release history this came out on uh so it uh, february 16th full album is out Okay, cool. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you've listened through. It. I've listened yeah. through it, and yeah. it's like it's sweet. It's mostly sweet, With and then some, it has like, some like unlistable. What are you doing? Yeah. But but I, 
I honestly, I don't mean it as a dig. I'm, I'm so happy to hear something that's just like, you're just, just putting something out there, and it, it's just so bizarre. Uh-huh. <laughs> now I kind of want to hear, the, like the way, because I'm like more intrigued. I mean, you showed me a song that was like a top song uh, that you liked off it. Yeah. Now I have to hear the bizarre. Yeah, just listen to the whole record. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I actually think that that's like it's kind of a funny thing. It's like that draws me in even more. Exactly. Because because I think that in those moments it's where the personality comes out. Yeah. And it's it, again, this just like this does reinforce like our overall view on I Don't Heart Radio is that like within all music, but then especially hip hop, it just feels so constructed. Yeah. Like every every move that you make, every like you use a template, you're painting by numbers and then like you're you're face tattoo is like run through like 10 marketing firms before you get it. Uh, and it's just, it's lame. Yeah, it just so. feels so false. And I want to hear a record that has the edges laid out, mm-hmm. especially like I want to hear it on anything, but especially with hip hop Yeah, because it just, I've, I've always, um, I don't know, like my, favorite record is black on both sides and i just feel like that's like a perfect like that's just that is 80 minutes of pure personality yeah uh and flawless weird shit on that record too and i just i i need it for it to to work for me wait who's black on both sides most f oh it's most f okay mighty cool. mighty most f yeah i'm trying to think now what my favorite probably kendrick Probably good kid, Mad City. There you go. Good, good pick. I think it. I'm, I'm. I think that is. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with that for now. Yeah, I mean that. That's a. That's a record with edges too. Oh, totally. Such yeah. personality. Yeah, I would say that there aren't. Um, maybe just because I'm so like, I listen to it so many times. I don't feel like there's, like, any flaws. <laughs> Like, it doesn't feel like there's, but it, it totally, like, it's just like, it's like, a, I mean, I think they, it's literally supposed to, it's like a movie. It's supposed to be like a record. Yeah, movie. yeah. 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 It's good stuff. It really is. <laughs> um, Cool. Is this the first hip hop that we've covered? Namdi. Namdi. Okay. Which, I mean, that's. Crosses back and it's forth. A, it, it's, yeah. a, it's a crossover record there. But yeah, I mean, this is, this is pure hip hop from beginning to end. So nice. The, yeah, I wanted it to be. Um, I wanted to look for something that was outside of the usual genre that we pulled, but I also wanted it to be something that felt special. So yeah, this is the, no, I've felt, I feel like I, um, I've been a little bit disconnected from like the hip hop world, uh, of like modern releases over the last few years, at least, um, probably mainly because I never clicked. I tried, but I never clicked with mumble rap. Right. I tried. And, I mean, there are because like... Because I think you gotta try. So the thing is, is that I just feel like it's kind of the beginning of the problem because there are like... There are seminal mumble rap records that I think do... Like, there is, you know, warts and all personality and mythos and lore... Definitely, uh, definitely. Like, attached to them, and I think that that's how they work. But the thing is, is that it's also the beginning of people very very like strictly following templates to make like just things it's a that's the beginning of juice world type beat i would yes but i don't know if that's the beginning of people doing that oh my god i don't know if you can hear that in the mic but (laughs) my dog just sighed very dramatically well i guess that he doesn't want to hear juice world type beats i mean people have been doing like bay city rollers type beat or like aerosmith type Well, when i was yeah like okay i was you know i think that people have copied things like for forever i just i had never realized how i I interned in a studio i'd spent two summers uh where i like lived in new york and was interning in like these studios one of the summers it was this one spot that like there was this producer that had done some stuff for Santa Gold, who I love. Yeah. I, lo- I really love some of her music. Um, and he was working on some beats to try to, like, pitch for the next record, like, for her. But he was going off... I was watching him construct it, and he was, like, going off of 
old, he would he was like listening to whatever was like a song that was huge on the radio at that time. Yeah. And literally taking the exact BPM, the exact like the chorus hits at one minute. Thir- yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever yeah. seconds. Well, right. Th- as though it was like this formula that is was exactly what made it. Um, and yes, there's like attention spans of the moment, and you know, like those. That is a real thing. It is. You've suddenly abstracted so far from, like, following intuition artistically by just trying to create a formula that I was like, what are you doing? What is, is this? Is this real? Is this real life? Oh, it just seemed, like, so gross. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know if whatever he was working on in that moment made it on the new record, but the newer record isn't as good. Well, I mean, so the thing is that this has, I, I don't I don't mean that it's the first time that's existed because like Tin Pan Alley was a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, this is, you know, American factory music. Like mm-hmm. you go, you take the thing, you take the hit, you analyze the chord structure, you change one chord, you change one note on the melody, like so on and so forth. Like now it's a new ragtime doll. You know, like, <laughs> oh, you figured it out, you changed it. Um, but those were those were like factory industry writers taking advantage of like established patterns and you know melodic structure and all of that um but you know they wouldn't call it like ragtime doll type beat there there was a degree of abstract oh you mean they weren't like proud of it exactly they... <laughs> that's you don't like that they're saying what they're doing yeah i mean okay so i get why you're it's like i'd it's like I get you're like at least be embarrassed. At least be embarrassed, and it's also I just feel like it's entirely not the point. I feel like I feel like the point of art in general is to express yourself, and the point of like the entire at this point, like again, I try not to be the boomer, but it's like it is fifty years of history of like recorded hip hop at this point, yeah, and like up until this point. The entire point of it was an individual expressing themselves against the system. Yeah. Like uh, f- 48 of the 50 years. Well, I think that unfortunately, I think that the, that maybe this is the boomer within me um, saying that I think that it's like a, very much social media to be to blame in that it's to be to be in a taggable category. Right. Right. Is a great right. way into the algorithm. Absolutely. And being in between genres and being that is like the perfect way to slide between the cracks and never find an audience. It's just uh, that sucks. I think that's a fundamental problem. Um, And like that's a problem we're trying to fill a little bit by having this podcast where we find stuff that is untaggable. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And and that's I mean, we we, because that's what I like the, the most. This is untaggable. Yeah. I, I, I can't even say for certain what it's called, <laughs> you know, like I'll have to send everything, you know, like I'm pretty sure that this is, you know, Salva, Salva Hazelaire and it's incredible. I love listening to it, but you know, I don't know. I don't know what this is. I just loved listening to it. Yeah. It, it filled a very important need for me. Yeah. I mean, it, how do we how do we change that? Like, because I don't think that that's I mean about how the structures of like how things get. I know I know it's not yeah. like a yeah, task yeah. that we can personally accomplish, but how like how could society go about changing that? Or is there a reason that it's you know is right. there a reason other than that it's easier? That it's preferable. Well, I, I mean, and that's the thing is that like the e- there's nothing. I just think that it's the that we see a societal need to introduce muscle confusion every so often. Muscle confusion. Yes, muscle confusion. Uh, so when you're doing like the human brain is an incredible machine that is constantly looking for the easiest way to do any given task. Yeah. So for better for better or for worse because we will like once we learn something or know how to do something 
the brain is looking for the most efficient way to do it. Yeah, which and helps innovate, and it can also help you become lazy. It it becomes a crutch. Yeah. And you have to... Um, so muscle confusion is like a, a bodybuilding term. I was going to say, is that like when people... Um, you know, do arms one day and legs another day, and you. Don't. So that's that's just working the different parts of your body. That's not muscle, muscle confusion. confusion. Is when you introduce a entirely new exercise within. So it's like if you just do preacher curls every arm day, mm-hmm. it becomes less uh, efficient at building muscle because your brain has figured out how to do the preacher curl in the most efficient way. So what it's, is the preacher curl? Is that a name of a way? That you, yeah. Okay. Yeah. A, so, you, you, are you lifting? You uh, know the names? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've Where'd had to. Go? It's the only way that I don't like shrivel up and die. Oh, uh, so. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, the uh, so you have to. You can't. <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> so you can't. You can't rely on one type of exercise yeah. or a a regiment of exercises to to like build up those muscle groups you have to switch the mm-hmm. the the way that you lift a weight okay. in order for it to maintain maximum maximum um ability to build muscle because build muscle it, like building muscle is based off of tearing a muscle apart and then rebuilding it yeah so your brain wants to avoid that because it's painful and is like hurting you Mm -hmm. so it looks for ways to do that task without tearing muscle okay that makes sense so you introduce muscle confusion Mm -hmm. uh to um to bust your brain out of uh like this this efficiency trap okay and i think that you could it's not just now. I think that we're we're currently in a stuck state. Yeah. Uh, like on a mass entertainment and art scale. Yeah. Where there has to be muscle confusion introduced into the system because it's going to continue looking for the easiest way out, which is like, I, I'd say that like Tin Pan Alley, uh, the, the end days of disco, because like the first disco records are fucking awesome, yeah. but then it turns into a formula and it turns into something that's boring and it's like disco itself doesn't suck. It's the formulaic repeating of the same thing over and over into the system. I would say in, in that, I'd say like in an even faster rise and fall as far as creativity, dubstep right in the beginning all my homies hate dubstep well in the beginning it was like what is this i've never heard sounds like this it's like a factory sound you know like not factory setting i mean like right right it's like like, yeah yeah, the sound of heavy machinery fucking each other yeah yeah, and it was like i mean the first time i heard it I, i remember distinctly because there was like a weird bleed because of like skrillex and stuff from first to last there was like like an emo people liking dubstep and I right, have a right, distinct right, right, memory right, right. of an emo boy showing me Skrillex and being like, you got, or uh, yeah, he just being like, you got to check this out. And I, I listened, I mean, obviously this isn't the first dubstep person. There was dubstep happening, but this was like, it, right, it was starting right. to hit it's, a little bit America, of a, yeah. yeah a, a UK a larger, dubstep is like very cool. Yeah. So, but I, I, I at first was like, why would you show me this? Right. This is it's making me mad. It's doing rites of spring to me. And then I kept going back to it and being like, but what why am I attracted to going back? Like I hate I don't like this, but it's right. weird. It's so this is so weird. And I just kept going back to it. And I was like confused. But so and at first and then like these textures and these sounds machine sounds and mm-hmm. like like it was just um so different and new and unlike what I was hearing um and it kind of like broke my brain a little I was like what I, I don't know I felt like I went on a little journey and then it became so formula it was everywhere yes. yep. and it's formulaic to the point of just like you pull up the preset pack you got the LFO it goes wub 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 Right, like right. and it's called Skrillex type LFO. And it yeah. all sound everybody, you know, you can it just became so recreatable. 
and um without uh i don't know without without a personality so fast um i just feel like that that genre did an even fast i wonder if it's a faster increase with new genres with like when we're talking about mumble rap and stuff is the amount of time something goes hits like a mainstream pocket and goes from right right like right. fresh and new to template yeah is that increasing i mean i think that we could see it with uh like uh even like a billy eilish yeah yeah like that because that was like when it did the first stuff it did hit like a pocket that was not being yeah uh done and now i'd say there's plenty of billy eilish type beats yes you know yeah uh and i i think that it's everything it's easier to mass produce music now than it's ever been it's easier to figure out what makes a sound yeah is it easier to figure that i, I guess it's like easier so like with youtube and stuff Someone can be like, I don't know if it's easier to fit because I think that is a specific skill set. Like I, I, people that are really good at breaking down what textures yeah. are like the elements that really. Well, but I think that there are more of those people than ever. And those people have based like they have people have channels where they are dedicated to breaking down. Okay, you want to make a song that sounds like this person? Like yeah, Here's it's like the, you use this kick sample, yeah. use this snare, and then like this like synth patch, and uh-huh. there you go. Which like ultimately could be a really cool thing if the point was showing showcasing the elements and then being like, okay, now you can now choose a, pe- a little piece of it perhaps, yes. and then like combine it with your, you know, yep. whatever makes yeah. But it's there's way that's just that's that's the that's the time that we're stuck in. Uh-huh. It's just like okay, here are the base elements, and then it's just like okay, well I'll do my vocal over it. Uh-huh. It's, it's a karaoke time. Yeah, I call them karaoke type beats. Like yeah. when they get sent to me, I'm like, okay, well, you have done karaoke, uh-huh. uh, and that is boring. Often, it literally is that too. With 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 uh, people buying beats, on um, yeah, there's like a whole there's world a whole of that hip hop where I mean, which is which is fine. I understand sometimes it, it's a way to get. Um, you know, Attention, beat makers. Well, yeah. it's a, a way for beat makers to make money, and it's a way for people who want to rap to, uh, you know, right. There's get there's beats. low resources, yeah, and, and you don't have to have a studio and all of that, and that's like super cool. But it's just kind of like that's where that's where things end. Well, I think that a lot of the most uh, groundbreaking uh, hip hop people have a very um, personal relationship with the beat maker like it's right. them and well, the beat I mean, that's creator the, I mean that's the thing is that like when people send stuff in I'm like can't you just find a friend <laughs> to work on this with yeah like make because that's what I mean that's Wu-Tang yeah that's 15 25 35 dudes uh-huh. just like uh you know figuring out how to make stuff yeah. You know, it's just like, okay, well, we're going to like work together in whatever way and like buy a drum machine and we're going to figure out how to work the drum machine and like, oh, it turns out you really like Riza, it seems like you got a hang of this really fast. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think that you do it now. And it's just like I, I'm like, dude, you're there are so many people that are just on the internet all day. I'm like, make a friend. Yeah, make, make a, friend. a friend and work on something together. And, you know, use this as an idea and a starting point, like you're practicing and you're getting something going, but you have to work with another human being. Well, I think it comes down, like, because people get so focused on the end goal. Right. Like, it's just cheesy, but like, instead of the journey. Right. Right. I mean, such as even us, you know, we were talking about trying we, we have a new summer like the season release coming March out. March 24th. And uh, talking about... Yeah, it yeah. came out, I guess. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't listened to it four and a half times, that's the exact number of times that you times. have to listen to it on Spotify for it to be um, that ratio. It's really good for the robot overlords. Four and a half times. Anyway, but um, we were very focused on figuring out what the robot overlords would, would want um, for our song to perform well. And uh, our our bandmate Liam was saying that we should really focus on 
the the tour ahead of us. Well, the things yeah. that make it magical, like he was talking about a memory of us in this art gallery that we played a a, a strange show at, and we um ended up parking the the van inside the gallery. Like he let us pull it in, and we were, we were staying at the gallery after the show, and we made uh, we we have a, a like questionable. <laughs> Um, a tour, tour stack yeah. because it's just really easy. You can get it at gas stations. We'll get. Uh, I don't know. Oh yeah. If I no, should. we could tell. Admit, it's, it's, it's tuna. Just, it's, it's just tuna bread and mustard with mustard. <laughs> Which is, it just delivers like that gross. It's just like it's flavor, protein. calories, protein. Yeah, it's all the you things eat you it. need. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was making our tuna mustard sandwich, uh, and it just like big glob of mustard just spilled all over the gallery floor and we just couldn't stop laughing about it. Yeah. And he was saying that mattered more than the algorithm. Right. Those moments. Remembering laughing sweet. about the yeah. the mustard floor. And not wrong. Not wrong. Not wrong. Um hard to remember in moments of uh you know, extreme focus. <laughs> So, are you familiar with the works of chaos magician and comics writer Alan Moore? The name is familiar. I don't know anything. Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Alan Moore is slash was a comics writer who saw a similar problem with the art form when he was getting into it in the 80s. Uh, just, you know, off of the off of the topic of like being in a stuck time. Yeah. And like the, you know, how do you change it and how do you break it down into something that can flourish? Like comics were seeming um, to be like following too Su stringent like of formulas. A, okay, and yeah. It had become, uh, you know, it's. Uh, it's the early 80s is when Alan Moore starts to work within the industry. He had written like some indie books and comics through the 70s. And then he starts to get, he gets picked up by DC cool. to be a writer for Superman. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, which is so very big, big deal. You know, mm -hmm. the, the first comic. And the thing is, is that at that point, Superman had been a comic book for 40 years. Right. And thus began Alan Moore's love-hate relationship with comic books as a medium. And, you know, he felt like they were, you know, formulaic. They were childish. They were, and it, it's not just childish in that they're, like, made for children, but it's that it's a 40-year-old story that is not, of like, evolved past a child state. Yeah. Uh, at this point, the comic should be a full-grown adult. There's an arc, and it's just like kind of redoing the arc in different ways, um, but not really deviating from the main. Yes, no deviation, and also reinforcing an idea of society that is in and of itself childish. I do have There's... to say, this is strange back-to-back, -back, uh, you know, only several weeks after your Limp Biscuit episode. Yeah. <laughs> we're sort of, you were preaching in opposite. Well, here. I mean, I think that they both have merit. Okay. You know? Yes. Uh, the life isn't... In contrast, I'm only yeah. saying. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm a classy guy. <laughs> Just literally, because <laughs> the whole thing about it being child... Childish and childlike, you know? Right. They're bo there's both. There's both. Okay. There's both. Well, I, I guess the only thing that I'm going to argue against is being stuck, like stuck culturally. Okay, sure. And uh -huh. that sometimes, uh, because at, at the same time when things become too saturated and adult and gritty and like this is an anti, this is a science teacher who's an anti-hero and sells meth. This is a <laughs> this is a history teacher who's an anti-hero and a male hooker. This is a like like just like endless like anti-hero slog. Uh -huh. Like this is a lawyer, but he's not good. He's bad. You know, like as it like e these are things that I love. You know, these yeah. are stories that I love, but the thing is is that they are they do start to become same. 
you know, you deviate, you're, you're making something so adult and boundary pushing that they're no longer fun and they're no longer doing the thing that they set out to do in the first place, which was push a boundary. Well, like, I feel like there was a, a boundary push against happy endings, um, that like a few years of film where it was like happy endings are unrealistic and there was some like groundbreaking in that it was like it ends sad it ends um unfulfilled right right. you know things like that uh there will be blood right but then but then that becomes its own trope yeah yep and if you don't if you don't analyze it and break it down what was the point like what was the point of it Mm-hmm. It, then it's just another thing. And so, like, Alan Moore is a master of understanding that, that uh, his his entire approach to comics was to break down tropes and break down the expectations of a character. And uh, regardless of the time period and where the needle was swaying, he would sway against it. That's interesting, like, the way you say it, break down the expectations of a character. Like, because you'd think, like, it's like, I th- must be a very um, difficult thing to break down the expectations of a character without losing what who a character exactly. is. Because so much of a ca- a character or like even being a person, like so much of who you are is the choices you make. And if you start to make choices that are different than the choices you're expected to make, um, when do you literally change? Right. Which is uh, those are like those are like brought in as scenarios. At like what point? is uh you know at what point does a a given circumstance change how you will behave fundamentally because there has to be a point at which that happens yeah like where do your more like how true do you stay to your morals and how true does a character stay to their morals in extreme circumstance so what's the big like shift because i i don't right I don't. so the uh, he he works in the industry. He does uh, like Superman. He gets to make his own character, Swamp Thing, which is a kind of a fairy tale. He's very into like fairy tale archetypes, uh, and Swamp Thing kind of like deviates from like standard superhero. It's a it's a swamp monster who mm-hmm. fucks. Uh, who fucks? Oh yeah, he fucks. Alan Moore is very horny. Okay, uh, <laughs> and, and and these are all within the DC. Ecosystem of like you know Batman and Superman and like mm-hmm. all of that, and then he sets out to make his own comic, uh, to like you know fulfill his kind of, uh, you know at this point he's been working in the comics industry, uh, you know as a member of like the corporate comics class for like five years, and he's pretty sick of like he's he's broken Superman as much as he can break Superman. Uh, but it's still Superman. Yeah. Uh, so he wants to make his own uh, book. And it's also fun. Alan Moore refuses to call them graphic novels. He is the inventor of graphic novels. But in any interview, he's like, it's a comic book, you fuck. <laughs> like, don't be, don't try to put anything fancy. Uh, don't try to dress up my, my work. It's a comic book. Is the difference just being that it is, like, longer and more in a more in-depth story, basically? Yeah. I mean, like, that's what... It's the only thing I've read that's, like, a, a graphic novel. Like, I used to occasionally get... I, I, my relationship with comic books were, like, I never had them except for when I was... When I would go up north with my family. In Michigan, um, there's, like, you know, a lot of the cities are really... Um, in the lower part of the state and people have like cabins up north and we go up yeah. north. Um, and we, there was a, a diner that was like an hour or so bike ride from the place we would stay at. And Fun. it was called Mary Ellen's. It's no longer in existence. And I would bike ride there and get a milkshake and a comic book in the summertime. That was like the only Aww. time I got to read comic books. It was like, cause I never, like there weren't any places to get comic books around, but I loved to draw and I would, I made comics and stuff anyway. But the only graphic novel I read was, um, oh man, uh, Watchmen. Oh, that's Alan Moore. Oh, it's great. 
Yeah. It's amazing. Oh, okay, great. Okay, that's that's what I was just about to talk about. Watch Oh, Man. sorry. Okay. Yeah, that's that's it. That's it's, his, it's amazing. It's incredible. It, it's 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 amazing work. I didn't know that was him. I, yeah. I, just, I don't know stuff. I just, like, my friend recommended yeah. it, and I read it. I thought it was so good. So, Alan Moore refuses to call Watchmen a graphic novel. It's that's a funny. comic book. Okay. Yeah. I was like, that's the only... Uh, that's the only like, graphic novel that I've had. That it's I a graphic know. Novel. A, and graphic, Alan yeah. Moore would curse you down with his wizard beard. Cool. Like... Uh, it's a comic book. Um, yeah, so that's like that's his break from like the DC universe. I like, think about no- that book all the time, and I think about a moment in it that I feel like isn't something I've hear any because people talk about Watchmen all the time, and they talk about like the politics of it. Yeah, but they don't talk about. There's a moment. And I don't think this is like a spoiler or anything. But oh, like, let's it's just, like, it's, it's been out for okay. 30 years. Let's just talk about Watchmen. Where Dr. Manhattan yeah. is on like the other, I, I don't know if it's, I can't remember if it's Mars or just like another yeah. planet. Oh, yep, 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 that's Mars. And he's talking about the beauty of this, of a, like a rock or a mountain, something that's like non-living and how yeah. he can understand, like with this under, the understanding and in touch, like, he could under see that it's just as beautiful and as genuine as and as like important as a as like any consciousness. Yeah. But that there's like this um uh inability to recognize that among like human humans. beings. Yeah. Yeah. Um and that like there's I can remember the visuals with yeah. that. Well, that whole that whole uh, issue is incredibly beautiful I, with the clocks. I have a terrible that, memory, right? And that, like that, those scenes, like really stick with me. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, Watchmen is. So Watchmen is Alan Moore's like kind of breaking from the industry because it's it's where he develops like his entire deconstructionist voice because you know all of the all of the characters within Watchmen are kind of, like, loosely modeled after, like, classic superheroes. Like, uh-huh. the owl is Batman. And, you know, basically every... Well, they're all just kind of Batman to a degree. They're just vigilantes with money uh-huh. uh, hired by the government. And it's the... It's taking... It's taking them for what they are. Uh-huh. You know, just violent criminals. Yeah. And that's the the entire like driving story of Watchmen, uh, and then like one superhuman. Yeah, yeah, but then with like, it feels so much because I never. I mean, the thing that kind of turned me off to comics was I never felt like I could make as human of a connection with the characters as right. I did with Watchmen. Right. Oh, they're they're deeply flawed people, mm-hmm. uh, and that's. That's the entire fun. And then, you know, there's, uh, like, Alan Moore's ability. These, like, carry through in, like, V for Vendetta and his later works. His ability to give such a human personality to someone who embodies ideas that Alan Moore detests. Um, like, mm. notably uh, Rorschach. Yeah. Like, he's the protagonist of the story yeah um he is horrible like uh Rorschach is built as a um it's in uh opposition to uh Frank Miller who uh Alan Moore knew and thought that what he was a fascist (laughs) like that was his uh his take on on his work wait Frank Miller's a writer right yeah uh, which would uh, dig- comic writer? Oh, okay. He did like uh, a bunch of like detective stories oh, okay. where like you know the detective like you know kills a bunch of people <laughs> and uh-huh. and like might is right and uh, you know the the state should regulate the people with violence. You know that's uh-huh. like his. You know he's a fascist. He okay. did. He wrote like three hundred. Okay. Uh, so Rorschach is just a. That it's just Miller, like that's what Alan Moore like took as his inspiration for Rorschach, mm-hmm. a man who he hates. Yeah. But the thing is, is that he didn't write Rorschach as if he hated him. 
which is what gives the story uh, like an ability to make you see things in different ways. Yeah, it's very like deeply, it feels like so many perspectives laid on top of each other. Yes. And you can kind of, um, you are sitting at a zoomed out position. Yeah. You're not being forced into you're not, any of them. You're not forced to take anybody's side and you're not forced to see anyone as like stupid or wrong. Uh-huh. E- but there are there are clear he's clearly writing it from a perspective, but he's not forcing the perspective onto the reader. Yeah. Which is like that is in even like deeply like deeply political works like V for Vendetta. That is what elevates him above like your typical satirical writer because like usually it's like, usually satire is like, this character embodies the idea that I think is dumb. And right. look, <laughs> this character is dumb too uh-huh. and he's got a small dick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's most satire. Yeah, yeah. Rorschach is a deeply thought out and cared for character that like grew up uh, you know, abused by the system and, like, is uh, is a product of massive psychological damage and everything that he does is, do- is done from a position that makes sense for yeah. Warshock. Uh-huh. But he's also a psychopath. Yeah. He murders people. He feeds people to dogs. He uh, He's acting out in great rage. His opening... The opening monologue of Rorschach is like it's an it's incel shit. I was gonna say I think I kind of remember it being incel-y. That was exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah, but yeah. It, but you're not. But it's not like it's not beaten over your head. No, yeah. And the thing is, is that that's also it's very interesting because because it's not beaten over your head. There you run into people that are like Rorschach's fucking awesome. Uh-huh. It's like he's not. Yeah, <laughs> he's bad. <laughs> that's the point. The point of the book is that like Rorschach is bad, uh-huh. uh, and when he gets like obliterated into the snow, it's because he was gonna do something bad, right? Uh, w- which also is the the grand point of the book, the um, the squid monster. I have, is that also a Alan Moore? I oh, don't know. Oh, the oh, the, that's the end of Watchmen. Wait, oh, the book. I, I see. This is what I'm saying. I have a terrible memory. Yeah. I read it a long time. Right, ago, right, for I, sure. Yeah, um, I don't even remember that. Yeah. The, so the whole. I just remember the the, the one scene that affected well, because me. Because it's incredible. Great, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, that that's like an amazing thing. I mean, Doctor Manhattan abandons humanity, right, uh, and yes. leaves humanity in the hands of Ozymandias because mm-hmm. Ozymandias does have the best plan to save humanity, objectively, looking at the space mountain and the clocks. Uh-huh. You know? Uh, Manhattan knows what Ozymandias is doing uh, and uh, goes like, yeah, I'm going to leave you to that. Yeah. Uh, and the Ozymandias's plan is to uh, genetically engineer a giant squid to look like an alien. And... Um, beam the squid into uh, New York City. Wow, I really don't remember this ending. Yeah, well, it's it's really incredible uh, because it's like uh, like the entire thing is that like uh, mankind is on um, like the brink of World War. Totally, III, I remember nuclear that. Yeah. Annihilation. Uh-huh. It's the twenty fifth year of the Nixon presidency. Yeah. Um, because Doctor Manhattan like laid waste to Vietnam and then the Soviet Union and there's only America and then there but there's like growing splinter cells and it's on the verge of nuclear annihilation. Uh-huh. So like humanity is fucked and the only people that people trust are these superheroes and they're bad. Yeah. Uh. So Ozymandias is like king of the superheroes and his plan to save humanity is make a giant squid that looks like an alien, teleport it into New York City, lay waste to New York City with this giant squid. Just, like, kill millions of people. Uh Uh-huh. So that the world thinks that there is a... Alien threat, threat. A, yeah, that they can band together against. and that they they have to because the the rage of humanity can only like has to be expressed at something, uh-huh. and if it's turned inward, then they will blow up the planet. 
Doctor Manhattan outward. Then if it turns outward, they vaguely can prosper. All coming back. Yes, they okay. can prosper yeah. and like create a space civilization and like end money and like live happily. Yeah. And it will only cost the lives of millions instead of billions. Right. A little trolley problem. Trolley problem. But the thing is, is that the answer to the trolley problem in Dr. Manhattan's mind, and arguably the only answer to the trolley problem is the fewest people. Yeah. You know, I mean, we could have, I don't know. What, how, what do you think? What's I mean, my like, answer? What's well, okay, answer? explain, first of all, the trolley problem people don't so know. So the trolley problem is that there's a train on the tracks and there are five people, uh, like, you are operating the switch to choose which track. Which the, track path, The, the yeah. train goes down. And if you choose one path, well, if you it's, don't if you do pull the lever, five people die. Yes. If you pull the lever, one person dies. You, you change paths. And only you, run over one. You person. are directing the train. You you're taking a passive like you can either take a passive role or an and active. watch five people die, or an active role and watch one person die. Yes. So you know if you move the train, you have taken action and you are responsible for that one person's death. Mm-hmm. But you have prevented the deaths of five people. Yeah, but if you let fate choose its, you know, if you you do not intervene. Right. Uh, you know, I guess you maybe the train will just break. Like the you know, there's there's yeah. no way of knowing, but most likely right. without so, intervention. So Dr. Manhattan yeah. is at the switch. Yes. And Ozymandias is driving a squid train down the tracks. Uh-huh. So do do you pull the lever? Do you or what what are you doing? Um, I think that I agree that the answer is to pull the lever and less people die yeah i mean i think that if you're i think that if you're at the lever and you have the lever yeah i think you have to pull the lever and you have less people die yeah ultimately yeah because i think that inaction when you know the consequences of your inaction yeah that it's the same as action well i find that I think, I guess, I, I agree. I think that on a even smaller, you know, obviously we're talking like like life and death and, um, you know, that's, but even on a small scale of like inaction because you think society is going down the tubes and man, this, the, the world just, because I feel like that is a little bit of a curse of our generation of knowing um, right. climate, change. climate change, impending doom, and it kind of feels like what's the point, but I think that inaction, even on like a, a an individual level, inaction right. of like living your life and trying to put cool stuff into the universe, is, um, actually do, is like actively doing harm. Yes, inaction can be it can harmful. be harm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the thing is, is that like Ozymandias succeeds. He launches a squid at New York City, kills millions, but the world goes, holy shit, aliens. No more World War Three. Yeah. Uh, Warshock is the one who discovers that Ozymandias has done that, and he wants to hold Ozymandias accountable for his crime. Yeah. Uh, and does not see it as, like, a net good for humanity. And that is when Manhattan takes action. He's absconded, like, for, like, six, six issues. You yeah. know, he's like, I'm going to let humanity do what it does. Manhattan comes back with the sole purpose of killing Rorschach mm-hmm. because he will cause the maximum harm by, uh, you know, causing humanity to go to war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which then I guess that, yeah, that when I guess only in that moment do we really re- have, have him reveal how he f- like maybe feels like the author feels. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So this was his breakout universe was watching? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then that's, you know, everything after, I mean, V for Vendetta is also incredible. From Hell is probably, like, the best, uh, like, true crime comic ever written. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, yeah, he's a wizard and uh, just, like, continues to live his life very happily. Is he still making stuff? Yeah, it's gotten progressively unreadable. 
Oh no, really? Well, no, it's still very good. He just he's gone really far down the wizard route. Oh, like the characters are wizards? He's a wizard. He's a wizard. He's a wizard. Well, Alan Moore is a wizard. And too wizardy? He's maybe getting a little too wizardy. What makes you too wizardy? It's like, you know, kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. so I think he's living his best life. Great. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I think that... Um, all good creators are a little wizardy. Are a little wizardy, yeah. You kind of need to be a little wizardy to summon something beyond. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. Is that? That's I it. Think that's it. That's this another is, great episode. This is I Don't Heart Radio Pod. Um, I guess this is. You can find us at I Don't Heart Radio Pod on Instagram. Uh, you can find me at Summer Like the Season Music on Instagram. I'm over at a ton of underscore mastering. And you can email us if you have a band we should be talking about at I don't heart radio pod at gmail.com subject line. I love your new single mental that I listened to on March 24th and every day since then. 4.5 times. Yes. You have to listen to it 4.5 times on Spotify. You can, you can then listen to it more times on other places. Right. But you got to get four and a half times on Spotify. And that's Very the important. entire subject line that you need to send us. Right. Um, and then also, you know, it, it really, it does a, a lot for the podcast. Uh, it does a lot for bands to, to share things. So, like, if you like this episode, if you like listening to this podcast, if you can share it on your social media, you have reach. You have friends. You have, I, you, you have friends. You have friends, right? You got friends. You've got friends. No, it, you know, it, it like, it really is. Um, we all have more power than I think we uh, acknowledge in the day to day. Hell yeah! You know, by no, by yeah. sharing things we yeah. like. If if you are actively sharing That's content, that disciplined it, happiness. <laughs> yes. All right. This has been I Don't Heart Radio. We'll see you next week.